I don't really know what I believe, and I don't think I care. Because if you have no need, you have no reason to listen to the gospel. A full-time vocational minister. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are like more progressively Christian or grew up more progressive who are able to reconcile some of those things with their faith because they're not taught the world is black or white and those are your two options. Christianity is like a Jenga tower. Once you remove the bottom, the bottom blocks, the whole thing comes crumbling down. Yeah. And, like, we're never going to understand an all-powerful deity. Hey, I'm Elijah, and I'm joined today with my co-host. I'm Collier. For another episode of the Hopefully Wandering Podcast. We are podcasts of two self-identified ex-evangelicals. Collier and I both used to be employed full-time or part-time or just on staff as people at um, evangelical churches. We grew up in the evangelical megachurch environment, uh, did worship ministry, youth ministry, Bible college. We were two good little Christian guys and have since deconstructed and adopted a, a new perspective that is constantly changing Probably every hour. I was going to say every week, but I was like, then every day, more like every hour on, you know, what we think of uh, the church and how the church plays into like uh, political economic factors and the world at large. And now we just uh, discuss about our new open opinions and perspective. We are hopefully wandering through the wilderness of ideologies. How was that? Awesome. We are. Yeah, perfect. And today uh, we are joined by another super special guest who many of you might recognize. Yes, returning guest. Guest, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Brooke Bowling Spears, um, and I'm super happy to be back. Thank you all for having me. Woohoo. We are so happy to have Brooke back on the podcast. Um, Yeah, no, this is incredible. So we're going to have a really fun topic today. Uh, But first, like, Brooke, how have you been? It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. What's been going on with you? Yeah, I've been good. I am eyeballs deep in my dissertation, um, which is wonderful and exciting and also a lot of work. So I am actually living in Georgia for the summer, which is um, super, super fun. But I am using my phone hotspot for Wi-Fi. So I'm hoping that that stays stable and is nice to me today. (laughs) It's all good. You have a beautiful Zoom profile picture. And the brief time we saw you beforehand, you look great. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Georgia, that's exciting. Awesome. Um, yeah, so today we are talking about a somewhat timely topic. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast or if you are at any way related to the evangelical world, I'm sure you've heard of the new documentary that released on Amazon Prime called Shiny Happy People. Um, I don't know what the subtitle is. All these docs have super long subtitles, something about Duggar family secrets, maybe something like that. That sounds right. Maybe that's it. Um, yeah, so it's about the Duggars, it's about the IBLP, and some of that uh, kind of cult that is within evangelicalism, and 
America. Um, so we're super excited to talk about that today. Um, I don't know what what uh were your initial thoughts? I guess <laughs> while jumping right in, let's immediately go. viewing this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we got a lot of ground to cover, you know. So that's we true. We're getting on this. <laughs> I think I have I have eight pages of notes. So what's <laughs> <laughs> that PhD good. student obnoxiousness coming out there? I don't know how is, you is do it, homework. Is it uh, APA formatted or like? MLA. Oh no, it's it's how I take all my notes, which is just chaotic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think actually if you don't mind, Collier, it'd yes. be first good for us to give a little background for why this documentary hit home so much. Because I think that there's a lot of I mean, even people who may not identify as exvangelical or deconstructed or whatever other version of this they are but like even some of my friends like Taylin was telling me that she really related um to hearing about the you know all the stuff that the Duggars went through because even if you even aren't Christian people know who the Duggars are they know what those values and ideals are and us having grown up in like a mega church kind of environment like I think there were a lot of families that strive for those ideals no, totally. Yeah. I um one thing about moving to New York is that it's the first place I've lived that a lot of people don't have a ton of firsthand experience with um especially evangelicalism. Amazing. Um, Good. But like a lot of like, you know, passionate church people. So th- there's been several times where like people say, "Oh my god, I didn't realize that people like that actually existed. That 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 those type of families and those type of religious structures were not just TV. And and the thing is though, I would sh- I'm sure that they've heard of the Duggars because they are so popular. I mean, they're they're like what's discussed in the documentary, they kind of put TLC on the map as like a huge network. So, yeah, I think that um it resonates for a lot of people whether they see similarities in their upbringing or whether they just have seen the Duggars on TV and then are now getting exposed to the dark side of those beliefs. Brooke, you talked a lot about Quiverful and a lot of these ideas uh, in the first episode that we had, which plug for that episode, we had Brooke on on season one. And Brooke, I you know, I don't mean to, you know, shit on other guests, but you're definitely in the top three guests we've ever had on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> but why this hit so home for you? We specifically selected you for this episode. That makes me so happy. Um, yeah, so this hit home for me because I grew up IBLP, and I want to I want to add a qualifier there that I did not go through all of the things that a lot of other IBLP survivors did that they talk about in this doc. Like I didn't go to the training centers, for example. That wasn't something that was part of my experience. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about what my experience specifically looked like, but like. We had the we had the wisdom booklets and we did the um the basic life seminar and I went to Teen Pact, which they mentioned in the last episode, which is adjacent. Um, which I don't know if I got to tell you all that, but I did Teen Pact, I did the debate wow. club that they mentioned. So all of the sort of interconnected whole bits and pieces of the homeschool, you know, 
and how IBLP impacted that. Uh, that was my whole childhood. So um, when I saw this doc was coming out, I was pumped. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to diving in because there's so much. Yeah, so much of that stuff I I didn't even realize was connected. Like I, I didn't I had heard of Team Pact, I think, growing up a lot. Like I just knew of that name, but I didn't realize it was connected to IBLP or the Gothards or like any of that type of stuff. Um Yeah, so that that's what's kind of uh hit home for me too was hearing so much of that that um was so adjacent to my upbringing and like I wasn't, you know, strictly IBLP or like in that cult technically, I guess, but the I was homeschooled and I was at the church where like those beliefs were very, very widespread and very common, you know? And like maybe we judge some of those beliefs or some of those people for being a little bit too extreme, but we never were like, oh well they aren't Christian or like we we never like thought that they were doing anything bad. We were just like, they're taking some of the stuff a little bit too far, maybe. But most of those basic underlying principles we wholeheartedly agreed with. For sure. I think a lot of families specifically were fans of the ideas, but maybe didn't have a name for it. Because I know for like my parents specifically, you know, they would see the Duggars and see the ideal family, not knowing, you know, everything that was going on behind the scenes, not knowing about the IBLP, but they just saw as the doc is called, shiny, happy people, and knew maybe that this was the ideal way to be living life, which is so crazy now looking back. Yeah, something that I was thinking about while watching the doc and thinking about my own experience is, so there's this book about visual rhetoric called Violent Exceptions. It's by Wendy Hesford. And if you like visual rhetoric, it's a good one. But the whole premise of the book basically is that if you can point at something and say that is an exception to the rule, then you can excuse the rule. So the ability mm -hmm. to point at the Duggars and say, oh, they're extreme. We're not like them. Because in my case, for example, it was, oh, we're not extreme because we're allowed to wear pants. Then <laughs> the rule of basically holding to every single other belief that they had could be excused because we had that one exception that, and it turns violent when you're able to excuse harm because of that one exception to the rule. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. That's that. Um, I, I had those exact same thoughts too, like um, watching it, especially of like, I always growing up thought that fundamentalists were crazy, you know, and thought like that people were so legalist or whatever. And it wasn't until I grew up and like looked back where I realized that I was also a fundamentalist and I was also very legalistic. It was just that I was a step more liberal, I guess you could say, than, than other fundamentalists. So I was like, oh, well, I'm not crazy. Then they're crazy. Yeah, it it, uh, it didn't occur to me until I was older that the reason I could say, oh, well, we're not crazy is because we were doing all the same things at the same events with the same people who were like wearing the long skirts and things. Uh, like I remember one very specific example of going skiing with a homeschool group and mm -hmm. some of the women, some of the girls and women would wear skirts over their ski pants 
because the skirt rule was that rigid. And we were like, oh, we don't do that. So we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, same. I might've been at one of those ski events, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good old Paoli. (laughs) (laughs) Some of my like core memories were being at like these homeschool co-ops and being like the most non-homeschool person there. And I would just see these families with like, 15 kids all and all the ladies wore skirts Mm -hmm. and they talked weird and just weren't sociable and i would just have like this internal dialogue of like what is going on here why does this just feel so weird yeah yeah like that's the thing we'd be like oh well they they don't let their daughters cut their hair so their hair is down to their butt and like they have to like have caps on and long denim skirts um, and we thought that was bad, but then like we, <laughs> what would like we do if a girl wore a bikini to a pool event, you know, we'd be like, oh my God, that's way too far. So, so we were also like pretty extreme in a lot of ways too. It just, we, we weren't as extreme as the extremists that we saw, you know, I used um, to proselytize to my friends at the block for wearing skinny jeans. You proselytize at the church? At the block, yeah. Because my friends would wear skinny jeans and I thought that was morally repugnant. And so I would be like, you really need to consider not wearing skinny jeans and how that's reflecting on your relationship with Christ. Like I was so annoying. (laughs) Listen, it wasn't morally repugnant, just stylistically repugnant. So you were kind of on the right track. Hey, I still wear skinny jeans. Okay. Leave me alone. I I know. But the dad and mom jeans are in is what, you know, they are. They are. That's true. That's why we're old. (laughs) Yes, facts. <laughs> one of the quotes that really stuck out to me, and I think they used it in episode one and maybe three or four too, but it's the one from Josh Peace where he says, they turned every father into a cult leader and franchised Ooh. spiritual, physical, emotional, and psychological abuse. Um, mm. Where it's not like, it's not like other cults, you know, it's not like a Charles Manson or a, a, a Nixium or whatever, It's more of a, like, it was more diffuse than that. And in a way, I think that makes it more, like, ever more, it doesn't make it less dangerous that it's diffuse in that way. It makes it harder to pin down and harder to control. Because most of the time with cults, you get rid of the leader, you get rid of the cult, and that's not the case. Yeah. No, exactly. Because... The thing is, I don't think a lot of people maybe had even heard of Bill Gothard himself. And while he was doing those cult things as the documentary shows, like he was abusing people, he was like had that compound, that weird stuff. Um, the the heart of the cult was the fathers, like you said, like that the Josh Peace quote from the doc. Um, so, yeah, it's almost more dangerous, I think, because so many people hadn't even heard of Gothard, but they were parroting his ideas and still are to this day, uh, which is one of the reasons that it's so important that this doc came out and that we talk about this is because like, it's not something that was just in the past and was a one-time thing. It's uh, it's ongoing. Yeah, and it's more flexible because of that too. It's more adaptable, which, because like in my case, you know, I always say I grew up IBLP, but my dad was too much of a narcissist 
to fully listen to Gothard. (laughs) (laughs) Like my dad was too narcissistic to ever to listen to another narcissist. You know what I mean? So he took all the parts that Gothard taught about. Yeah. uh, About like authority and control and all of those pieces and some of the more specific stuff too, but he liked rock and roll. And so nobody was going to tell him he couldn't listen to, to, you know, rock and roll. (laughs) Um, so things like that, where he was, he wanted the control and the authority elements of the teaching. He wanted all of the legalism, except what inconvenienced him personally. And those were the pieces that we were exempt from. So like he listened to classic rock, um, even though Gothard hates classic rock because he didn't want mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I get that. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> so I guess why don't we jump into the doc itself, the documentary. So it came out, I think, all at once. I don't know if there's going to be a second season or not. I'm not really sure what's happening with this. But came out all at once. And um, yeah, so it really... I think does a really good job of showing how pervasive these teachings are, not just in the Duggar family and not just in Bill Gothard's um, camp, but within evangelicalism in in a way. Um, I guess so it starts out with the uh, Duggars with the, or the oldest Duggar daughter, sorry, uh, Jill and her husband, Derek, who, basically fell out with their family. And so it's kind of like a tell all from them, but also they bring in a lot of experts. Um, Before we start, I guess like, what did y'all think about the experts, survivors, just people they had to talk? Go ahead, Brett. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I think that what they did with, getting all of the experts and other survivors to come and speak is I think it showed that the focus wasn't exclusively on the Duggars. This wasn't a documentary about the Duggars. It was with the Duggars as an example of the larger, more pervasive ideology of the IBLP and of Gothardism. Um, It wasn't it wasn't focused exclusively on them because they're just a piece to this whole thing. They are not the the whole point of and they're not the end game for the iblp and and its relevant ideologies um and so i think that them bringing in experts and other survivors and other people to talk about it really showed that that element of this story really yeah i definitely agree um i feel like uh this was a documentary that was um surprisingly well balanced i think that so many of the documentaries that have come out about church scandals have been completely um specifically focused like a pinpoint on the church or scandal that it's covering like i'm thinking about like mars hill the hillsong scandals like any of those type of things i feel like that they all say that this particular scandal is a random occurrence and it, it seems to paint this picture that like that it's it's a one-off thing and that like oh how can we prevent this from ever happening again 
But this documentary, I mean, while it didn't like do a full scale uh, condemning of evangelical culture, I think it did a much better job of um, truly just trying to expose how pervasive these ideas are uh, in, in the mainstream evangelicalism. And I think part of that was getting people like, um, like Kristen Copas Dume and uh, Fundy Fridays and different people like that who have been covering uh, these type of ideas in mainstream evangelicalism for a long time. And to be honest too, knowing a little bit about like where Jill is, I think if it had been a whole scale condemnation of evangelicalism, she wouldn't have come on the dock. Um, and I think in some ways that might've killed it dead in the water because although she and Derek are problematic, which we can talk about later, um, her perspective as a survivor is of course really, really important. And her being someone to actually speak out against her family is a really big deal as well. And I don't think that she would have agreed to come on if it was, if it was more, uh, uh, accusatory i think that's one way in which this documentary has seemed a lot different from some other more recent like evangelical tell-alls <clears throat> is that they seemed more and this is just perspective so again this might not be how reality is just you know what i could tell is that they were a lot more concerned with what the people who shared their th their stories thought about the documentary as a whole. Cause like when we listened to like the previous documentary that released the, uh, the second Hillsong one, um, it feels like a lot of people weren't happy either with how things were portrayed or whatnot, but you know, for Jill and Derek to come on, they would almost very have to very carefully monitor the way in which things are portrayed or else they may rescind their consent for them to actually be on the documentary at all. And, uh, this is interesting. And, uh, I will give you all the link if you want to post it, but one of the executive producers of the doc actually did an AMA on Reddit, which Ooh. was super in enlightening. Yeah. So I learned some things from that one is which that they would love to do a, a season two and get it more in depth on stuff. Mm. Um, also that their team was, is comprised of people from multiple faiths, including Christianity. And so I think that that really help them give a very balanced perspective as far as looking at, okay, this is, this is specifically what has caused harm and what is continuing to cause harm and attacking those elements of it and not the ideology as a whole in a way that would make people maybe not listen to it. Cause I've had some people who are absolutely still evangelical and maybe even fundy light, but still like watch the documentary and go, Oh, I don't agree with everything that they're that they're talking about, but I can agree that this was objectively harmful in these ways. And so I think in that way, it maybe has more of a chance to reach people that an openly accusational toward like the faith itself uh, documentary would not have been able to do. No, totally. I feel like I've seen a lot of people too, um, like you said, who are, still quite fundamentalist honestly like really enjoy this documentary and it's been eye-opening for them and um helpful for their journey uh so yeah i think that's great that they came from that perspective definitely um i guess i mean <laughs> i don't know exactly how we want to start here do we want to talk about um 
our biggest, I don't know, revelations or surprises in the documentary? Do we want to talk about first the, the way it related to our specific upbringing? Or I don't know. What do y'all think? Yeah, that sounds great to me. I mean, I I definitely have some experience to share there. Um, and I'm sure Brooke does as well. Yeah, I'm good with whatever. Y'all, I'm I am along for this ride. I am happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, Brooke, if you want to start like maybe in your eight pages of notes, like what what's like the the first thing you'd want to <laughs> <laughs> you'd want to start going over then? I think one of the biggest things that's so so pervasive through the whole thing is just the rigidity of the gender roles and the way that women and girls are exploited in this system. Um, because that's seen in every single episode and in every facet of this is women and girls. It's not, it goes, in my opinion, it's of course like it's misogynistic, obviously, but it goes beyond misogyny. Like it, it is, it's so exploitative of um of women and girls and so exploitative of of people of of those of people who and at this point in their lives have been put into a system they have no control um and i just think that that was something that really stood out to me and every facet of this documentary was was just how exploitative toward women and afab people yeah damn i know like i'm thinking not to skip ahead to the very end but near the end of the documentary they talk about uh josh duggar's wife and one of the people mentions that she might not even know the resources that she could have if she left. Um, and that type of thing just like really stood out to me that the, the women in the system are so oppressed and so like sheltered from the outside world that they, they really might not even recognize what is going on in the outside world outside of the whole system. I felt a little bit like that and just like my personal experience growing up homeschooled and you know like I said earlier maybe it was just because my parents were felt like they were failing to live up to that sort of like holy isolation that a lot of these um uh IBLP members went through but um there were just a lot of people who I interacted with who who did feel like that and and did embody a lot of those um, cult-like ideologies. And I would just always feel bad for them. It was like this type of guilt and this type of like otherness. I don't know if that's a good word for it, but this like group of people who I can't explain to you why something feels off, but I just feel bad for them. Yeah, it's and it's tough because it's constructed. And I think that the, you know, the, the modern day Christian influencers at the end of an episode four really illustrate this, that they frame it as this, oh, well, that's personal choice. And it's like, if you want to be like a woman or an AFAB person who's submissive in your relationship, that's cool. I love that for you. Go off. But the problem is when you, when you construct these gender roles and, and don't, 
and, and there's something in it that is I am inferior. I am submissive because I was born and I'm pausing so you can cut this if it's too much, but like, because I was born without a penis, because I was born without external genitalia, that I'm somehow inferior and, and men are supposed to take ownership of me and possession of me and control me at every stage of my life. So that doesn't even change if I were to get married or leave the house or whatever. It's no matter what, I am under the authority of a man at all times. And that is not it because even in relationships where somebody is like, yes, I want to be submissive. That's what's up. There's an element of consent there. And that's not the case here that I don't think that's what's happening. Mm. Yeah. I, that, that uh, reminds me of another part of the doc, which was like the, uh, the child upbringing, the discipline um, with children and so like yes for sure with um with women it was i think more extreme like you said with being uh like thinking that your only worth is mothering children and being the helper being submissive and that type of stuff and like you said i, I think it was great how you put it that that's like not really consent in that case um and i think that just goes along so well with the, the approach to children in general in this type of ideology and the approach to children is that the ultimate authority is the parents. Um, instant obedience is what the children need to have. Um, all that type of stuff where kids are expected to basically fear their parents and they have to be perfect for whatever their parents ask of them. They immediately do, you know, with no questions. Um, and so they get into this in a lot of detail with spanking um with blanket training which is if anyone doesn't know <laughs> the, the in this um ideology what they prescribe is to have a baby that can't even crawl yet put a toy outside of its reach and when it reaches for the toy smack its hand so that they know who the authority is and they know who tells them what they can and can't do so when i think about all of those practices of raising children and then I think about what you just said, Brooke, about submission and about like if it's a choice or not. I'm like, is is it? Can it be a choice at all? Can it be like consensual at all when you are raised in an environment that you have no autonomy and that you are taught from the earliest of ages that you are um, submissive to God, to your father, and that you really have no worth in yourself. Pretty much the only people who would have autonomy in these situations are adult men, uh, husbands and fathers. And that sort of isolation of the power, I feel like is corrupting. And, you know, that behavior is what leads to all the type of uh sexual abuse and uh, negative power dynamics and the lack of consent within the family situations. It's, it's fundamental. Um, and I, I think of the, the picture of the umbrellas that was shown um, multiple times throughout like every single episode, that point in which the men are heads over their own family is just like the perfect tee up for abuse.
And I also want to point out, and this is something that was pointed out to me, um, those umbrellas on top of each other don't make any fucking sense. They don't! Because if you need three umbrellas, my dude, your umbrellas are broken. That's not how anything works. (laughs) That's not how umbrellas work, yeah. (laughs) Why do there need to be umbrellas under other umbrellas? That's so fucking dumb. Every time I see that, I'm like, why did not, I didn't see that as a kid. And it's because I didn't know, but I'm now I'm just like, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't know, uh, dear listener, what this, that is, just go look up like Bill Gothard or IBLP umbrellas. It'll be like the first search on Google there. umbrella of protection. That's all you got to do. It'll pop right yeah. up. <laughs> we'll pray a hedge of protection over you while you search that too. Yeah, I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> But What's yeah, I mean, mean, I definitely remembered, I, I remembered that um, umbrella graphic and I don't know if our church necessarily always used that graphic, but they definitely use that structure, you know, maybe they use a triangle or made it a little bit different, but they definitely use that structure. And like in our church, like in the, from the main teaching, they would talk about God is the head of the household and the husband is the, is the other head of the household under God. And then the wife is under the husband and the children are the lowest like that's the that's the structure that they taught at our church too and what's so wild about that too while we're talking about the umbrellas is every single time they talk about leaving the umbrella of protection it's all about choosing to do it if you choose this if you do this if you decide to do this which puts all the blame for everything bad that happens to you on you Mm, yeah so if children get hurt then they probably did something to step outside the umbrella of protection. If uh, a wife, if if a wife is unhappy in her marriage, she's probably not under the umbrella of protection of her husband because she's wanting to make equal decisions in the household. And how dare she? So it's like everything that bad that happens to you at that point is your fault. That just sounds like gaslighting to me. I mean, (laughs) pretty simple. Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's super intense victim blaming, which is, again, like what so many of the people in the doc bring up, which is that it's meant to create an atmosphere where abusers can get away with it. Because if you're responsible for what happens to you, then why would you speak out about bad things that happen to you, even if they're perpetuated by somebody else, because you did something to, to cause that to happen to you? Yeah, that's something that I see, I guess, to to throw a bone to Christians. I see it in the American culture at large, not just Christianity, but like especially when we talk about victims of like sexual abuse and stuff like that, we often hear people victim blaming. Um, And I think it may be worse in Christian circles than in um, secular culture but often, yeah, like stuff like that is seen as, well, what did you do to maybe bring that on to you? And and there's so much of that where we think if you're not living a perfectly pure and chaste lifestyle that you essentially deserve all the harm that comes to you from abusers. Maybe, maybe that reminds me a little bit of like the prosperity teachings. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if you are faithful, things are going to be good. If you're unfaithful, things are going to be bad. And then they can just shape the narrative of what it means to be faithful 
to whoever has the most uh, power dynamic in a particular situation. So it, it really is just a top-down system of abuse, military style, and it's, it's just disgusting. And I think that circles back to the the gender thing because like speaking as, you know, an AFAB person as as a woman, um I was put the amount of labor that I had to do emotionally to make sure that I was doing everything right. Because if somebody, especially like I was put as a safeguard of men's thoughts of men's behaviors, of their actions, of their feelings, like, and I feel like that circles around because it was kind of this idea that, okay, if, if, if I'm objectified, if a man objectifies me, then that's my fault. I was wearing something or doing something that made him do that, you know, and I'm, and obviously that is so much more extreme in, in those situations, but that's just think just as, as far as our conversation about like victim blaming and everything that goes back to, I think making women, the safeguards and the, 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 in a weird way, the most powerful ones, but the, and so we have to be the most controlled. Like it's this very weird thing of as a, as a woman in IBLP and in that kind of super fundamentalism, I'm so powerful. Like my body is so dangerous and my, who I am is so dangerous that if I do one thing wrong, then I could upset the entirety of God's plan. And so I have to be so tightly controlled, you know, um, which deconstructing from that was super fun. Um, and I say that sarcastically, <laughs> but also like, I'm like, yeah, no bitch. I am powerful. Bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that's so but true. it is like, like, I remember, I remember being sat down at one point by, by someone who was really important to me when I was like 13 or 14. Um, and she sat me down and said, you need to stop wearing tank tops because all of the men around you are men, including your brothers and your father. Oh, God. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. yeah. And I'm like 13, 14. And she's like, you could be causing your brothers or your father to sin. I'm like, that's fucking gross. It is. No, that's shit. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that I've always said too, is that purity culture breeds pedophilia and it, it makes room for, um, for pedophilia, yeah, because they tell girls from the time that they're children that they're responsible for sexual thoughts from adult men, you know, and that's another thing that that culture does is it doesn't it doesn't have a good concept of consent and uh, when it comes to sex because it sees all sex outside of monogamous marriage as uh, a sin. So the thing that it does is it it says that it's normal for men to be attracted to women or girls, no matter how young. And that, yes, it's a sin for men to have lustful thoughts for girls, but it's the same exact th sin for like a 40 year old man to have a lustful thought for a 40 year old woman as it is for a 40 year old man to have a thought for a 10 year old girl, you know? And, that's that's disgusting. But they, they put it on the same exact level, that those sins are level. They're both lust and they're both the same. And that just breeds pedophilia because then when someone messes up and they do something to a girl, 
they they are looked at the same way as if they have a consensual affair with a woman. Did y'all catch that uh, boy boy children like older in, older male children are not allowed to change the diapers of fe- their young female siblings? Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh, they are. Oh, I forgot about that. Is that not the most repulsive thing you've ever heard? It's what the fuck. Yeah, it's like sexualizing women's bodies from birth. Yeah, like literally infants. And it's like when you are so obsessive about sexuality and you control it that much, then everything becomes sexualized. Like watching the footage from the weddings and stuff, you know, like Josh and Anna's wedding was is a clusterfuck for multiple (laughs) reasons. But like everything has the tone of sexuality over it, everything, because they've they control it so much that then everything is hypersexual, even when it doesn't have to be. This may be because like I grew up in purity culture as a man or the, what would be the male version of AFAB? AMAB. AMAB. Okay. And maybe for some of our more evangelical viewers, would you remind them what those stand for, Brooke? Oh yeah. Um, AFAB stands for assigned female at birth and AMAB stands for assigned male at birth. Um, they're more all inclusive for, if you're talking about people who have had specific gender experiences because of their sex assigned at birth. Um, but not everybody who has a certain sex assigned at birth identifies with that as their gender or as their sex, um, which is awesome and valid and wonderful. And that's something I would love to talk about later because they didn't really highlight that in the documentary, but I can only imagine like a trans person's experience within the iblp like i shudder at that thought it's Uh, rough i can't speak to that because i mm. as a cis person i i do know that i have trans friends who grew up iblp or iblp adjacent um and so i can speak a little bit to their experiences and it was it was it's it's not a good time no i am sure not yeah, I mean, gender is so rigid and and very important. Gender and sex are both very important in that ideology. Uh, important in the fact that it has to be incredibly rigid. Uh, anyways, growing up like within purity culture and AMAB, um, it was funny like exiting out of that realm at how less sexualized everything is because and. It just felt like everything had this like sexual undertone or even at times sexual overtones. Even some of the sermons that we would hear at like at the block at the youth ministry, they would have this um, sexualization to it. And looking back, I thought that that was just part of God's ideal for relationships. But now I'm like, maybe that was just a little too much. And it was perpetuating the issues of um sexualizing the afab people who were in our congregation yeah like and the and it's just like for example at the college that i went to um one of the rules for conduct was that you could not be horizontal with someone of the opposite sex opposite sex in quotes and it's yep. like so i can't like look at the look up at the sky on a picnic with somebody you're gonna make that sexual because i wasn't thinking about that as being a sexual thing i'm just having a picnic you know but you could not be and it's like it's so intense for no reason and it makes everything have this very weird like cast over it 
um, for things that are not sexual. Like laying on a blanket with somebody is not a sexual act. Sorry, y'all. It's not. <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I can't believe that. Oh my yeah. God, you're horizontal. I'm going to jump your bones immediately. Like what? <laughs> jump your bones. That's even that's so good. No, I, okay. Yeah. I'm such a physical person. I love cuddling with everybody. Like I love physical contact in that way. And yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> the thing that's funny is like, I was almost exclusively only allowed to cuddle with men because uh, as an AMAB person in, in evangelicalism, like it was seen as, I guess it's okay to cuddle and to be like physical with guys because they assumed that I wasn't gay. But, like, I couldn't be physical at all with women because, like, then that sexual sin, which is such another funny thing out there. But, yeah, it's like they they take all physical contact as inherently sexual. And the secular world doesn't do that. Like, that's the funny thing is they think that or they preach that, oh, the world is obsessed with sex and the world is can't stop talking about sex. But they're the ones that can never shut up about sex. Like, honestly, <laughs> the, the, the secular world doesn't give a fuck as much like it's it's a thing sure but like it's not as big of a deal as they make it i cuddle with all my friends now and it's not weird because it doesn't have to be a weird sexual thing it's just i enjoy physical contact i enjoy closeness with people who i love and so i can cuddle whoever the fuck i want <laughs> guys if we were recording this in person we'd be cuddling i'm just 100%. letting you know oh yeah 100 no big old cuddle puddle i'm down let's do it yes we'd all be on the futon with moochie and nacho for <laughs> <Yes>. sure <laughs> I think about um, Ryan Foley. Has anyone seen him on TikTok recently? Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't familiar. know. Sure. I had to delete TikTok because it took over my life. <laughs> um, I get that. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know how I know him, and then Collier will probably recognize it. He's the one. Uh, he was like, before I came back to Christianity, I used to get on Grinder and look for people to hook up oh. with and. He yeah. like lays all of his sexual sin like out on TikTok in this really like obscene, nasty way. And he turns it, tries to turn it into like a, a message for redemption. But everyone's like, come on, Ryan, just come on out of the closet. And I think of people like Ryan and the things that like Collier was describing, like you are only allowed to have like physical contact with men. And I'm like, no wonder there are so many like closeted homosexual people within the evangelical community because of situations like that yeah. who knows you tell me i can only cuddle with women i'm down i'm queer let's do it let's do it <laughs> no for sure um okay so i want to move into a new section and i want to know what y'all which section y'all want to go in because i think we brought up these two different points at different times Oh, there's the nacho baby on the camera. He's <laughs> so cute. <laughs> He's slowly letting me hold him now, and it, it's been a journey. It's, so, it must be when he has the brain cell because he's an orange cat. <laughs> and he's all, so dumb. All orange cats share one brain cell, and only one of them can have it at a time. <laughs> I still can't believe he's that big. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're chonkers now, and I wouldn't have them any oh. other way. <laughs> um so the the two different uh routes that i wanted to talk about we'll, we'll get to both of them but i just want to know which one y'all want to do first so one there is i we can list um and talk about like the things that are incredibly similar between evangelicalism and like 
Southeast, like our church and the culture at large, um, to the IBLT, IBLP teachings. Like I want to get down to like a list of those and just talk about that. And then the other avenue is like the ATI and or the respective similar beliefs, such as a Becca, um, the other um, homeschooling curriculums. Oh, I could talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped to talk about both of those. So you, you, dealer's choice. I want to hear about our education queen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do education first. I think we, we've, we've discussed some similarities. We can talk about it in more detail later. Yeah. Let's do uh, the education shit. So I know that we, I grew up on a Becca. Um, Brooke, did you ever do like the IBLP's uh, ATI thing? I, was that a, I did. I didn't do oh, it all oh. the way. Oh, I know. Yeah. I didn't do it all the way. Thank whoever's listening because that would have been <laughs> awful. Um, no, one of the weird things about my particular education is like we switch curriculum literally every year, which also wasn't the best thing ever. Um, but it does mean that if there's a homeschool curriculum, especially a homeschool Christian curriculum, I've probably used it at some point. And we definitely had wisdom books. I think one of the things though, is that like my mom who was in charge of our education, real, real, I think she knew that the wisdom books weren't actually going to give us the education we needed to succeed. So when we did do the wisdom booklets, we got them secondhand because there's a whole thing with how you even get the ATI wisdom booklets, but we would get them secondhand and we would do them as part of like our Bible study. So it was more of a supplement to okay. other curriculum that like actually taught me shit. Now I did still like my science education was all over over the board, you know, but, uh, yeah. and other things were wild, but it was the wisdom books was not the, the entirety of my education. Um, cause if it was, that would, that would be rough. That would suck. <laughs> I feel like you had to be incredibly bought in. Like you had to be the people that were going to the IBLP compound and going to Bill Gothard's house and whatever to like actually think that the ATI booklets and wisdom booklets were real education because at least with a Becca, they were just as fundamentalist Christian nationalist, like ridiculously stupid as the, as the IBLP, but at least they had a veneer of like, of actual education. Like, like they did teach some facts. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. the wisdom booklet taught modesty training. And, and I don't, I don't want this to make me sound like an ivory tower elitist asshole. So if it does, then let me know. But Neither Michelle nor Jim Bob went to college, which is fine. That's a totally valid choice, right? But I do think that the fact that they didn't pursue, they didn't see education itself as important. Education was a means of control mm. rather than controlling the education. Does that make sense? Because like my, yeah. I feel like. Collier, you and I had similar experiences as far as our education being homeschooled and the curriculum we used and everything. But I do feel like our education was was meant to be controlled education rather than education to control. There's definitely an element of that second part, obviously, like education to control is a huge theme in, in everything um, education related. But I do think that like that Jim Bob and Michelle probably just didn't value education as education in the same way that somebody who just has a different framework would. So um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying college is the end all be all or that if you don't go to college, you're going to become Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. 
obviously, but I do think that valuing education in a different way can make a big difference there. And I know my mom really valued education. Like she was the first, she's a first gen college student. And so she did really value education. And I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't stick with the wisdom booklets is because she wanted us to actually be able to get a solid education. And she took measures to make sure that we were on track and where we needed to be for the most part. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that those type of people like Jim, Bob, and Michelle, like you said, the um, controlling education, I think that they, they probably don't see that there is such a thing as objective education. Like they see education as a means for indoctrination. They, they don't think that there is such thing to be learned like objective fact because they don't really think that science is fact. You know, they think that it's all opinions to sway your belief in, in the Bible or, or whatever. So yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying there. Good. I'm glad I, I don't ever want to sound elitist because I don't, it's not my jam. So <laughs> sorry. No, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think college is the end all be all, but it, it does make sense that people like that wouldn't have gone to college um, because they, they didn't think it's necessary. And th there's different reasons for going to college and different reasons for not going to college. And that doesn't mean that everyone's reasons are the same. I, I do uh, completely agree with you, Brooke, that like education value is so important, especially with like the homeschool community. I would even go so far as to say, like if you hadn't had some type of formal training for education, you probably shouldn't homeschool your kids. I'm really thankful that my own mother specifically, like she's got a master's in elementary ed, but as soon as I hit sixth grade, she's like, nope, can't do that. You gotta go somewhere. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, though, it's kind of ironic that in like the more um, fundamentalist communities, it's ironically the less educated women who are the ones who are teaching students. And I know I, I don't mean to sound, you know, sexist or anything with that, but it's just kind of like that perpetual uneducation that may be happening in those type of communities. And there's yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's, you know, oh, women are nurturing. Women are supposed to take care of the children. And so if you're going to do the homeschooling thing, then it falls to the woman because she wouldn't be the breadwinner. So it falls to the woman to educate the children. And she just has to work with what she has. And sometimes that works out. And sometimes it doesn't because everybody has different areas of expertise and different levels of education, um, which is why the public school exists, because not everybody is cut out to be a teacher. Like, Teaching's fucking hard. Exactly. But she shouldn't feel obligated to have to do that as her duty. Maybe her talents lie elsewhere. And to force that upon her, I think, is just a disservice to everyone in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've i heard the um, idea a lot, like growing up, that the Bible is the perfect science textbook history textbook and and all that I, I can't remember the exact quote but i feel like i've like seen a quote on facebook you know about the bible being the perfect textbook for all subjects in life and i think that's bullshit <laughs> and i think that that is though the uh <laughs> the guiding view of a lot of this education is that you don't really need much more than the bible to survive in life Which is wild. And, you know, Gothard really had some cojones thinking he could structure 
an entire curriculum for grades K through 12 around not the Bible as a whole, but around the, what was it? The fucking Beatitudes or whatever. Was that oh, what it yeah. was? Like, yeah, I think so. He didn't even stick to, he didn't even go with the whole Bible. He was like, I'm going to pick this one specific section and that's all that anybody needs to know. Like, <laughs> dude. Yeah, like that's... <laughs> this is wild behavior. Definitely. I think... Yeah, so... <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, no, it's just... Uh, I was going to make a joke. It's it's hard to find a concise biblical opinion, you know, as the Bible is the sole source of everything, when the Bible doesn't even agree with itself at all. <laughs> Big facts. But that's something that... That's one of the other elements of this that I think is so insidious. And I think this comes up in episode two, but like, I think it's, um, let's see, it was, it was Heather Heath was talking about like her mom had a traumatic childhood. And so IBLP offered solace. And I think that that's something that appeals to a lot of people who get, who, who find themselves in cults, um, is, there is something that is safe about, tell me what to do. Tell me what to eat. Tell me what to drink. Tell me how to dress. Um, and tell me everything's going to be okay if I do all of these things. Because it gives you an element of control over your own life. And if you don't feel like you have that, then that can be really appealing. Totally. I feel like zooming out, that's a big draw to Christianity and any type of any like somewhat fundamentalist type of religion, like a structured religion like that. I think that's a huge draw is that the um, the answers it provides and the structure it provides is very comforting to a lot of people. And um, I'm not saying that all of Christianity and all world religions are as strict and culty as the IBLT, but like, I, I think there's very varying levels of like comfort that people desire. And so the people that especially I think have more needs maybe or like are even more desperate might reach out for even a higher control type of situation where they're like yes give me everything i don't just need um the the, the core principles of christianity i need bill gothard to tell me how to live my life if i can listen to music if i can watch tv if i can dress a certain way i think that's one of the i think i feel like that factors into the education piece because you know that's well, the the overall theme um for right here is like education requires you to question and it requires and it's work i mean learning and applying that learning and 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 creating a sort of uh uh what's the word i'm looking for a a, a web a network of knowledge that you can rely on is and make choices from that's exhausting especially if you are somebody who struggles with like fallout from trauma you know is like oh i have to make a decision about this thing that's really hard and i have to draw on all this information or i have to retain this information or whatever and an education can provide freedom in some ways but it can also be overwhelming um, where it's like, I'm, I don't want to have to deal with all this information. Like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Let me live my life. I'm exhausted. This is exhausting. And I don't want to do this. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> no, definitely. I think, um, related to like general deconstruction as a whole, um, uh, I believe it's 
Jean-Paul Sartre, when he's talking about um, existentialism, talks about like the terrifying reality of freedom and like that he, he talks about like people desiring to be controlled in a way and and being scared of thinking existentially because they don't want the freedom to think that they can do whatever they want with their life because because that is terrifying and it can be exhausting there's so many choices that you have and there's so much um just weight on you that you might choose the wrong choice so yeah it can be super comforting to just have a secure tunnel visioned reality and uh, I think the fear part of that's really relevant too, but we can talk about that later because fear is a huge theme in the doc too. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we could talk about um, how the IBLP stuff relates back to like our uh, church upbringing. Um we no, are, I'm ready for that. <laughs> we're about to rip it. You know, Collier and I have been so nervous for a long time for like the first 30 episodes of the Hopefully Wandering podcast. We wouldn't say the dreaded <laughs> directionally motivated megachurch, but now we're like fucking Southeast Christian Church. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, Which- so sorry. First of all, the fact that Southeast was like in the documentary like six or seven times yes and we yep. had a friend who was in one of the videos oh my god really yeah yeah friend of the pod if you're listening you know who you are yeah <laughs> that's We're, wild we'll hey, tell you friend, off air <laughs> i'm i'm so sorry dm me if you want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> honestly like i'm laughing but i'm also totally serious so yeah no southeast literally you can see it in the background less than a minute in yeah to episode one Stone right there with all the duggers uh-huh you know what's crazy is that like this information comes from my mother who was a you know very much interested in the goings-on of Southeast Christian and their interaction with the Duggars, but it was really the old senior pastor of Southeast Christian who was really pushing the relationship with the Duggars and the relationships with uh, multiple people who have visited Southeast who were like public evangelical or public Christian figures who have really come out to do horrible things because he was the same one who pushed to have John Christ come do a comedy special at the church. Mm -hmm. And then John Christ had his whole scandal. He was the one who pushed for um, Dave Ramsey to come and visit the church. And then Dave Ramsey had that entire Trump, all that stuff come out. He was the one who pushed to have the Duggars come to Southeast Christian Church to teach about their ideals. And then all of this comes out about the Duggars. And it's just funny to look at. Uh, I'm going to pause so you can cut this out if you want. Yep. There's a huge, there's somebody at Southeast who's very high up. And he and his wife have hella kids and are quiverful. Yeah. Uh, no that's yeah i mean like we, we won't say names but yeah like there's the leadership of southeast is quiverful i mean not all of them but some of them are like you said they're one person so i had to take i had to take a premarital se- seminar with him with no. my husband 
Yeah, because we wanted to get married in the chapel in the woods because it was cute. And so we had to do all those Southeast premarital stuff. Mm-hmm. It's cute. And my pictures are cute and it's fine. It's and we had our chapel. reception somewhere else where we could drink. So, you and know, dance. Um, but uh, and dance. We could drink. We could dance. We could do whatever we want. It was great. Um, but uh, so we had to do premarital and he I don't even remember what section he covered, but me and John were both just looking at each other like, are you shitting me? I've looked back through our notebooks because they give you notebooks when you do that. And all of mm. our margins are just us writing notes to each other of like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is wild. Like, this is wild. What is happening? And it's it was great because he would say something and I would look at John and John would look at me like we can leave if you want. And I was like, I'm going to implode. <laughs> I can't do this. Oh my God. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start hitting people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, like looking back on it now, the premarital counseling at Southeast that we also went through just because we had a Southeast minister do our wedding. Um, we had to do, we had to do those classes. And <laughs> that was one of the first times, like, I think that I started seriously questioning my gender and I thought that I might be like non-binary or something because they had like these whole sections about how men and women work differently and their brains work differently. And I was like, mm-hmm. my brain works like the woman's brain. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was like, I, I don't relate yep. to any of the stuff you're saying about men. My, <laughs> mine, mine is strictly is all the women's stuff that you're talking about. <laughs> I love it. Because I yeah, mean, it's always was... on pseudoscience too, but like, <laughs> I yeah. was like, this oh, is yeah. not really me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a man. No. <laughs> I had that too. They were like, women tend to be such and such and blah, blah, blah. And like women tend to, you know, what I, I don't even remember what, but it's all the bullshit of like, women tend to be able to like take on the burdens of others. And they're very like sweet and soft-spoken or whatever. And my husband was looking at me like, and like, he loves me and I love him and I'm very happy with how I am. Um, uh, nobody who knows me it, it would say I'm soft-spoken or like <laughs> demure in any way. You're not. And it's what we love about you. I love it. I perform my gender in a way to make um, to make uh, white cishet conservatives mad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you make Elon Musk terrified. <laughs> yes. Oh, I hope so. You know, um, we've all three been through Southeast premarital. Ooh. Oh, and... no, you have two? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Oh, think yeah, yeah. Duh, yeah, you got married while you were... I just... Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So, oh, no, it's so bad. We had an elder from one of the um, satellite campuses do our premarital for me and my ex. And... Looking back now, and this is something I just realized about five minutes ago. They were quiverful because he was like a doctor, wife was stay at home, taught all the kids, and they had nine kids. And I'm like, and then I started thinking about the things that they taught us. And I'm like, that's weird too. And so you got to just help me have this revelation. One thing I want to point out is that, um, for Collier Michaela and you, uh, Brooke, and what's your husband's name again? I don't know. You don't have John. to say it. John. Okay. And for you and John, is that you guys already had like a real, I mean, from from what I can tell, like a good relationship to fall back on. But like for me and my ex who went through like the Southeast 
premarital counseling is we were looking for that counseling to teach us mm. how to navigate conflict and to help our relationship grow into a healthy relationship. And let me fucking tell you, it obviously did the exact <laughs> opposite of that for yeah. so many reasons. And there, there were already a lot of stuff going on personally, but the stuff that they were teaching us just increased all of the negative aspects of our relationship even more. That totally yeah. makes sense. So, Definitely. Yeah. I can't imagine where I would be if that had been like, cause, cause John and I had been together for a bit. We'd gotten a whole ass Bible degrees at that point and like yeah. de deconstructed quite a bit. So we knew we were going through all the premarital stuff as essentially just, you know, okay, Formality. we'll see what we can get out of it. But for the most part, like we're pretty happy with where we are. Um, and, and both of us were already starting to deconstruct. And so we were like, oh, some of this is valuable and some of this is absolute horseshit. Um, and I can't <laughs> imagine what that would have been like going through that and not having that foundation already. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been, that would have, yeah, I feel for you. Cause that sucks. And the Oh, I know. I can't imagine. Well, and the thing is, man, and this is going to, this is going to be a hot take guys. Are you okay I'm with ready. this? I'm oh, ready. Yeah. I think we would have been able to live out the ideals that they were teaching us about Quiverful and IBLP and all this through the premarital stuff if I was willing to take on the mantle of a Christian man or at least what their version of it was. But something with it just never like settled in with me. Like I never felt comfortable saying you have to do this because I am the leader of the household and I'm going to make you do that. And yeah. while I was still evangelical, I would always think I'm such a coward. I don't have the guts to take to make those hard decisions and make my partner listen. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, I actually had a conscience. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It's not that you were a coward. It's that you weren't a sociopath. Like you, you recognize that your partner is a human being. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just, I, I worry about some relationships that are going through yeah. premarital <laughs> through old Southeast. And, you know, even them, they are some of the least fundamental out there. And there's a, a lot worse out there. So my heart goes out for yeah. couples. No, for sure. I So, yeah, like we, we mentioned that one of the Southeast leaders, one of the elders is quiverful. And like one that we know of. The head sure, of staff? Like, what? Yeah. So I've seen people talk about the documentary and they're like surprised that, surprised about the cult and like surprised that like, that, no one like researched the Duggars enough to realize that they were in a cult and that the IBLP was a cult, you know? And the thing that like, I would respond to that if people are surprised or people think that like, Oh, well Southeast or other churches should have known about the cult part. And like, that's crazy that they didn't know how they not research that. I don't think it's not that they didn't research into it. I think it's that they just, wholesale believed everything that they were talking about and the thing is i don't think they knew about like the sexual abuse stuff with josh duggar or with bill gothard because those were very unknown but all the known stuff of the authoritative teaching they knew all of it and they loved it you know they thought that that was a good 
biblical way to teach people. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think that that Southeast's teachings and it, like even I don't know that I want to say oh, I don't I might say that anyway. I think that evangelicalism insofar as it is also fundamentalist um mm-hmm. is inherently a high control group. And so yeah. A high control group isn't going to look at another high control group who's just doing things a little differently and be like, oh, but what you're doing is bad when it's they saw it as advancing the cause because they're the same high control group. They just manifest differently. Definitely. Yeah. Like, so that's what one of my questions, I guess, to like evangelicals would be if you are denying Bill Gothard and the IBLP and all those teachings, would you have denied it? If you didn't know about the sexual abuse and if you didn't know about the obviously criminal things that are going on. And I don't think that they would deny them. You know, I think if Bill Gothard taught all of the exact same things he taught, if the only difference in Bill Gothard's life was that he was not a sexual predator and that he didn't like have some kind of creepy culty stuff going on, if he just lived a simple life of a pastor, but taught all the exact same words I think they would still revere him as a great leader in the faith. I don't think they would disavow him at all. Well, and like in my experience, uh, a lot of people still think that Gothard didn't do anything wrong because it was never quote unquote proven that he ever harmed anybody. Mm. So anybody who got hurt under the IBLP or under those beliefs, they were bad apples and Gothard was wrongly accused and they're totally fine with everything that's happened because they're like, Gothard was wrongly accused. He didn't do anything. Josh Duggar did a bad thing and, you know, he deserves to get whatever. Um, but that's just a bad apple situation. I've heard that more than once, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Damn. No, oh, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, to the... Like similarities, I I wrote down like a little list of similarities. I'm just gonna read them out, and then if y'all have, have anything to add on these, like, please add them, and let's see please like what we read. can get through just quickly. So the similarities that I just on a cursory view of the documentary wrote down, um, were the similarities between evangelicalism. I'd say kind of mainstream fundamentally evangelicalism and like the IBLP teachings that are the same or similar. Uh, one is that the father is the head of the household and the spiritual leader. I've like never heard a Christian who would deny that hardly or like a evangelical Christian, I'll say and progressive Christians deny it, but that's a pretty obvious one. Father's the head of the household. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, one thing I heard a lot growing up honestly was not specifically quiverful, but having a lot of kids was looked at as blessings and not using birth control was very, uh, highly encouraged. It wasn't mandated in my circles, but many people agreed with it. There was demonization of almost all birth control methods. And um, if you didn't want to have a lot of kids, you should try like pulling out or like timing it right. Yep. <laughs> Where They said like, that, that in my premarital and I'm like, that's weird. Really? Yeah. yeah. Verbally yeah. said it. Yeah, I totally believe that. Well, and I also want to say this for anybody who doesn't know this, but there's a moment in the doc where Jim Bob is talking about uh, that 
uh, Michelle got on birth control and it caused her to have a miscarriage. That's not what happens. Miscarriages happen for lots mm -hmm. of reasons, but birth control and being on birth control doesn't cause miscarriages. It prevents you from being pregnant. But if you get pregnant and then if you miss your birth control pill, for example, and you get pregnant and then you take your birth control pill, it doesn't cause you to have a miscarriage. So just for anybody who didn't know that, because I think that's important to know, <laughs> but no, yeah, totally. No, yeah, yeah, that's 100%. Like I had to go on birth control when I was when I was uh, in undergrad, I think I was 18 or 19. And I should have been on it much earlier, but it was so demonized, even though like I was having so much trouble with my cycle and everything. And I was having so much pain, even though it was I, I was having that much trouble and birth control fixed it. Um, I couldn't do it until I was 18 and out of the house because it was so demonized. It was like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And even like even besides the pill, like I, I remember being terrified of condoms. Like, I mean, I so I I did the purity culture thing right. So I was a virgin until marriage. When we got married, I was terrified of even just using condoms if she wasn't on birth mm. control because I was so taught that they like weren't effective. You know, I thought it was such a common thing that it could break, <laughs> which is yeah. very, very rare. Yeah. And, and plan B is of course not an option if it were to break, because that's, you just, you're basically having an abortion at that point. Yeah. That's abortion. Yeah. Um, so that was another similarity is abortion. Obviously it was demonized. And I, I think that's pretty common among all like fundamentalist religious um, circles is abortions demonized. Um, the other biggest similarity is modesty culture, um, modesty and purity culture. I think the teachings even though I think the church has tried to modernize and soften their stance on purity culture a little bit, uh, I think there's still the exact same teachings, basically. It's still that women should keep their brothers in Christ in mind and try not to make them stumble. Um, I think the only difference now is that they also condemn men finally and are like, well, men, you shouldn't even be looking. But women, you should still keep your brothers in mind and try not to make them look. That shit runs deep too. Like I've been out of the church for a long time and I have been out of all of that for a while. And even this summer, like working with high schoolers, I asked multiple times, like, Hey, what's the dress code? <laughs> um, assuming <laughs> yeah. it would be like church camp where, you know, three finger straps, if you wore a tank top and all of this stuff. And, and, and so I checked multiple times, like, what do I need to wear? Is it okay if my tattoos are showing? Like, do you know, whatever. And they were like, you can literally dress like you're going to go hiking. We don't care. It's fine. I was like, okay, that's different. <laughs> ah, a normal place. A normal place. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, other similarity that I had was homeschooling, uh, demonization of public schools, liberal colleges, you know, trying to, um, trying to indoctrinate our kids. I think that's still fairly common among evangelical circles of sure. fundamentalist christian church is like yeah they don't like education they think it's indoctrination um also not being allowed to have certain toys watch certain movies play certain games stuff like that i mean i wasn't allowed to watch harry potter and a few other things um i've known so many people who weren't allowed to uh, play pokemon uh watch spongebob um maybe barbie like so many different things those were all true for me, all of oh. them, except maybe Barbie. I feel like I did watch one of the Barbie movies, maybe, but I deadass had a Barbie who got pregnant. Like I had a pregnant Barbie. <laughs> I don't know if y'all knew that existed. What? No, her name was Midge. 
That's Midge? wait. What was she pregnant to begin with, or did she just like it had a little magnet belly? Pregnant? Okay, there was a little <laughs> magnet belly, and there was a little fetus that would fit inside the magnet belly. What? I'm I'm not making this up. <laughs> oh my god! I'm I gotta look that up. That's so funny. Yeah, no, please Google it because <laughs> was it's she married? Thing. I mean, uh, I, we need to know. I, I probably I do think <laughs> that she had a partner. Yeah, I don't know if it was specified they were married, but it probably was. But no, yeah, I think it was discontinued because people were like, maybe this is a little much. But I vividly remember like that that being a doll that I had was was Barbie who could get pregnant. Bro, why her forehead looked like that? <laughs> wait Dude, i have not i hope she's in the barbie movie so hang on i gotta google this now too i haven't seen this up is it midge? Know, me too yeah midge m i i yeah m-i-d-g-e man my oh. memory <laughs> why her forehead looked like that she got the yeah, hair yeah, she, and wait you could, you could get wedding day midge and then there's midge and baby <laughs> it's a girl Oh wait, she is gonna be in the Barbie movie. Is she? No. Yes. I'm dead. That's. I think so. so. Funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I see a, I didn't. I'm not reading the article, but I see a picture of her in the Barbie movie trailer. So I think she's in it. That's, That's amazing. So great. I love that. Yeah, that was my Barbie. <laughs> I was allowed to have a Barbie who you know conformed to traditional gender roles. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> um. Okay, so the other uh very similarities to mainstream fundamental evangelicalism um the immediate joyful obedience that was big oh, i remember yeah. in every household i feel like mm -hmm. that, that i knew of was like children are supposed to obey the first time if a parent says something you have to obey uh there's no no fighting back no butts no counting to three it's it's like you obey and if not it's sin if you don't obey immediately mm -hmm. uh I think spiritual gifts was also pretty common um that they briefly touched on this uh that not like spiritual gifts in the pentecostal way but spiritual gifts as in like taking buzzfeed like spiritual gift test <laughs> as to whether your spiritual gift was like communicating or like like serving or like um being um a supporter or being a leader or being a a, a missionary or an outreach person like I remember taking some of those tests in like high school and stuff in our youth ministries. A hundred percent. And you know, something um, that I got told too, like, because they talk about the whole year prophet or a mercy and prophets <laughs> were the ones who were allowed to call people out or whatever. And a mercy was someone who, you know, was supposed to take on other others burdens. And something that I remember there is I always felt like I was a prophet. And I would say like, I think my spiritual gift is prophecy. And what I got told mm -hmm. was, well, then you need to marry a pastor. So that way he can listen to you and he can incorporate that into his pastoral work because you can't, but he could. <laughs> oops wow yeah so like me having opinions and a voice of my own was like oh i have the gift of prophecy oh no i have to marry a pastor because as a woman i could never you know say my opinion but i could tell my opinion to my husband he could discern whether or not it was accurate and then he could disperse it amongst his congregation if he thought that it was wisdom if it was true wisdom <laughs> from god oh my god brooke i want to go to your church <laughs> I feel like my church would, we would have a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> you got to check out Woven. Oh, I don't know what that is. We, we, there is a, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it besides this call here and I'm sorry, but there is a very, very LGBTQ accepting church in Lexington. 
Oh, and sick. I'm, and I'm helping them record a worship album in a couple weeks. That's and I'm awesome. Very excited about it. It is it is the shit. I love that. That's super exciting. Yeah, we I'll had totally check bourbon it out. for communion a couple or yes. when we went earlier this year. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah. Absolutely. Their uh, the, their worship pastor was on a uh, a very drunken episode of, <laughs> we of Hopefully Wandering with us. <laughs> blasted. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. <laughs> but um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, yeah, Brooke, what you were saying about like your spiritual gift and prophecy, I remember like at the Baptist Bible College I went to, people were, the women especially, were terrified of women like you. It was so funny because it was so complimentarian. Um, but there were some women that were outspoken, were confident. Uh, and honestly, like I, I heard the the other girls like Loki bullied them um, because they were all terrified because like, you're not supposed to do that as a woman. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was told to them that guys wouldn't like them or that like they would have to, they, they wouldn't be able to find a husband if they were acting like that. Oh, I got, I heard and, that all the time. Yeah. Like I felt so bad for them because they were just like out here just being a person, being confident, saying their opinions, but they weren't allowed to. Yeah. Oh, I got my, my siblings. I shouldn't say my sibling. I got married the first of my siblings and there were multiple comments from people in my family that were like, we're really shocked that you're getting married first. We honestly thought that you would <laughs> never get married. I was like, you thought that I would never like that. There are no men who want to be with, with uh, outspoken women. They were like, no, <laughs> <laughs> my siblings didn't say that people in my family said that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, some guys love girl bosses. I went out yeah. and found one. I relate oh, yeah. to John. My husband loves loves me exactly as I am. And he wouldn't like me near as much if I wasn't uh, as outspoken as I am. So He's <laughs> really out. showing Christ to you in that. Uh, uh, <laughs> Elijah, I, I know why you did that and I love you. Uh, but that I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Thanks. I <Yeah>. hate it. <laughs> um, so that was my basic list that I had written out. D- do you all have anything to add to that list or like any other um, elements that were incredibly similar to the rest of evangelicalism? Ooh, let's see. Let me look through my my notes. You can go ahead, Elijah. This might take a second. I have too many pages. No, you're totally fine. I... I feel like growing up in the like the worship ministry aspect, like like specifically that volunteer group was what I associated with church. And in some ways that youth ministry worship team were kind of the bad boys of these philosophies <laughs> because they wore True. the skinny jeans, which some of the youth leaders did not like so much. They would criticize um, certain churches who would embody these principles more, which some of the other youth leaders wouldn't like as much. Um, so I do relate in that way. They were very much sticklers um, for theology being accurate, which gets a little dicey when it came to the teachings of, you know, the Pauline teaches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like I, anything that I could share, Collier pretty much summarized just because we, Dude, up until we went to college, we were almost the same person, and it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, be, and I think that's because, I mean, speaking for myself, 
I had no identity. I didn't know who I was. I'm still figuring that out. And, um, you know, because we were taught that our identity should be Christ. So we basically would model after either our mentors or the, the idea of Christ that we had in the Bible. So, dude, I mean, if you do that, then we're probably going to be a pretty similar person because we're looking up to the same person, you know? <laughs> we just wanted to be Ryan Post. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. Oh, there was a flashback. <laughs> I uh, I emailed, total side note, while you, if you're not done looking, but I emailed ryan about six months ago trying to you know get an interview for the pod and i wish he had responded so bad that would have been amazing um i found the quote i was looking for so this is Mm -hmm. in episode two um and eve ettinger i don't know how to pronounce her name sorry um but she says her quote was, within this community, critical thinking is turned on yourself. You're kind of cannibalizing your self-confidence with overanalyzing. Am I doing it right? Rather than criticizing the system as a whole. And I think that really sums up a lot of evangelicalism is you're so obsessed with, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am I am I believing right? Am I, are my, you know, every single thing is is like she says, it's, it's cannibalized in that way. Like you're cannibalizing your self-confidence. You're destroying it because the one thing you cannot trust is yourself. Mm. Yeah. And it's like the person you should be able to trust is yourself. You should be able to trust yourself, but we're taught not like in evangelicalism and fundamentalism that the heart is deceitful above all things. If I had a dollar for every time I was told that I would be super rich, you know, like the heart is constantly, the heart is deceitful above all things. You cannot trust yourself. And when you are taught your whole life that you cannot trust yourself and that, then that just does a number on every single facet of everything. And I think that that's something that doesn't seem maybe as damaging, but it feeds into these other beliefs that are more maybe overtly damaging um, because you are taught to rely on somebody other than yourself for everything. And especially in what you think and how you believe and how you act, like you have to rely on somebody else because you can't trust yourself. No, I feel that so much. Yeah. It's so much of like the, the environment there is thought crime, you know, and Mm -hmm. is like, constantly questioning if you are sinning in your own mind you know it's not even about if you hurt somebody else it's if if your thought was impure or if it was like not up to god's standard basically did i tell y'all the mind reading thing last time i was on i don't don't think so or maybe you did we forgot (laughs) maybe if i if if this is a repeat you can cut it out but i i've told this story recently um i used to stand in front of the mirror And I would think something really, really hard. And I would try to see if there was a way, if I could read it on my face. This was when I was a kid, you know, I was like, if I can figure out what Mm -hmm. I'm thinking from my own face, then I can make sure that nobody else can figure out what I'm thinking from my face. You know what I mean? Because I did not feel safe even in my own thoughts. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, I have to make sure that nobody else can tell what I'm thinking. And I really struggled with that too, with my anxiety, because I have intrusive thoughts, like, like, all the time. And I felt so much guilt for my intrusive thoughts. And I was like, 
I, I need to make sure that nobody else can tell what my intrusive thoughts are, you know, because I felt Damn. guilt for that. And so I tried to figure out how to read my own mind to make sure that nobody else could tell what I was thinking. Wow. I feel that. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I still struggle a little bit with like, if I think a thought that, that I don't approve of, you know, or something, or, or that might be like, that I think is bad. Um, I, I still will think that somebody is going to read it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because my, my entire life I was told that, that God was reading that thought, you know, and that he did see every thought that I had and was judging me on him. So I, I completely understand that. Yeah. Exhausting. No wonder I have anxiety. Jesus. <laughs> when God can read, you know, every truth of thought popping in your head, dude. Right? It just makes for such a negative self-complex. It is not even funny. And so I'm trying. This is something that I've been learning, like to offer myself grace for passing thoughts. Mm -hmm. and the only thing that I ever get worried about now is really what like my heart and mind is like really set on. Because if I have like mm -hmm. a passing thought, you just let it go. Take that, take a cue from meditation. Just mm -hmm. let it pass, come in and out. Don't worry. <laughs> no one else is in your brain, hopefully. I mean, maybe the government, but it's all right. And then, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, it just takes so much of that anxiety put on yourself from fundamentalism, evangelicalism off of yourself. It's, it's so refreshing. Yeah. And there's so much fear. And I felt like that was something that was really obvious in the doc too, or they're threaded throughout was so much of this is built on fear, just constant yeah. fear and anxiety. And I love what, oh, I think it was Heather Heath who said this, but she was looking at, uh, what was it? The temptation to worry. And she was like, how do you not worry about the temptation to worry? Like they set yeah. you up for failure because it is, it's like worrying's a sin. Anxiety is a sin. But also if you don't do this, 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 and this, right, then you could be opening yourself up for bad things to happen to you. And if you're doing that, then you could go to hell like constantly. Totally. Yeah. It, it, it really is built on fear. Yeah. Like so much of the and the way that Bill Gothard was constantly answering the questions of, you know, can I listen to rock music? Can I, um, you know, participate in this part of society or whatever? And um, that's where he was like, you should be afraid, but but only be afraid until I tell you what to do so that you shouldn't be afraid anymore. And like that, that was what operates that whole system, which is so insidious and it's completely built on fear yeah um i feel like fear of hell too is such a big driver and that's one thing that i don't think most christians want to talk about but like if they're really honest with themselves the fear of hell is such a big motivation for nearly all of christianity mm -hmm. do you guys are you guys far enough in your deconstruction process not to get like existential fear of hell bouts because they were really bad early on for me. Now I only get them very occasionally. <laughs> yeah. I think that mine have shifted a little bit. I no longer get sort of existential fears about hell. I do sometimes I'm like, I, cause I, I identify as agnostic now. And so I'm kind of like, I don't know what happens after I die. And I think there is some, a little bit of anxiety in that for me. Um, 
but I don't get as much of the hell anxiety anymore, but I totally get what you mean. Cause at the beginning it was very, very much like that fear of hell was very, very present. And so um, I don't get that as much though, which is nice. Good. Good. Collier. Honestly, I, yeah, I think that I, um, I don't know if I ever fully believed without a doubt in like the afterlife. Like, even when I was a Christian, like, I mean, of course I believed it, but like, I think I always had my doubts about that. You know, I, I was always like, it's so unknown. It's so shady in the Bible, what it actually is that I never really worried about it too much as a Christian. Cause I was like, well, as long as I, you know, I, I trust that God's got me. So I trust that I'll be in heaven. And then for me, like the, the very first part of my deconstruction before I started looking too deeply at the rest of it was hell. That was like the very first thing that I seriously questioned when I was like, okay, it has what I, what I've been taught. Is that true? So I immediately looked, looked at hell and I kind of immediately came to the conclusion that even in a biblical sense, it doesn't exist. Like I just was like, it's bad theology to think that an eternal hell does exist. I was like, at, so at the worst, I think in, in like a good biblical theology, if even biblical literalism I think the worst you can believe in is um is annihilationism, which I was fine with. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> if if I'm gonna die, like if I'm gonna have no consciousness, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. Like just putting into this, it'll be asleep and I'm not gonna know what it is. So why would I be worried about it? There's not gonna be any pain, there's not gonna be any suffering, there's not gonna be any anything. So so I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think that I deconstructed that easily and um Luckily, that was like the least of my anxieties, honestly. I think for me, the more anxieties was uh, was about this earth and was about mostly friends and family and, mm. you know, if I'm doing things right here. I kind of, uh, I have a thought on that too, but I was thinking something that was funny about me, about my deconstruction is I, I also kind of started with hell because I had, a, I think it's because I had a lot of anxiety around it. I couldn't rationalize it for myself. Um, and I kind of, one of the places I landed at a certain point my deconstruction was, you know, I'm a good person. And if I get sent to hell for not having my theology right, then that's not fair. So fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like let's party in hell. If it, if yeah. It exists, I was like, like let's, if I get sent to hell and I'm up. a good person, then that's fucking dumb. And I don't care. Like I send me to hell. You're the one in the wrong, whatever. <laughs> no, seriously. That was know, all my friends are going to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to have a party. Dad, all my friends are going to hell. Can I go? Yeah. <laughs> ACDC. Well, so if your friends were going to hell, would you go too? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But I used to, I used to wake up with nightmares about like my friends and my family going to hell, you know, like, and, and so, you know, some people will talk now about, oh, it's so freeing to know what happens after you die. And I'm like, for me, it's so freeing to not know. I'm like, I feel so much freer now not buying into that and not believing all of that than I did when I believed in hell. I was just a mm. constant anxious mess all the time because I didn't want people to go to hell. Some Christians I feel like get, and this is not all Christians, hashtag not all Christians, but I do <laughs> think some Christians yeah, get like a kind of perverse pleasure in thinking about people going to hell. Yeah. Like some people going to hell. And I was like, you know, there are some people that I really, really hate. And even then, I don't think I would wish that on them in the way that I conceptualized it. Um, and that that was one of the big pieces for me with all of that. 
Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that that was a big thing for me too, was like, I didn't know a ton of people that died. One of the people I knew that died when I was younger um, was from suicide, you know? And so they they were from suicide and this person was, um, as far as I knew, an atheist. So mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way that I can theologically say that he's in heaven. Like I, I pretty much have to believe that he's in hell unless he like randomly called out to God and some kind of miraculous thing as he was like doing the action of suicide, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably should have put a trigger warning there. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> but when, when that happened, I was like, you know what? That, that kind of broke down a lot of hell for me. I was like, I, I don't want to worry about if people are going one place or the other. Like, why can't I just celebrate their life and remember them as mm-hmm. who they were to me? Like, it's just that there's no reason that I should be like stressing about whether this person's soul is good or bad, you know? Totally. Once you start thinking about the implications of some of those core doctrine that's when it really starts to hit home and just how perverse it is sometimes. Um, I would used to, on, on a very similar note, I used to think a lot about like the doctrine of heaven and like what we would be doing there. Um, and it just never sounded very appealing to me. And so it, it became, again, one of the first points <laughs> of deconstruction for me as well. Did you guys ever go to uh, the Radiate trainings at south at the block um maybe that sounds vaguely familiar like like the the sunday night um more intensive bible study they would yeah they would advertise them be like hey if you want to go into full-time ministry you better come to this radiate and we're gonna give a college level theological brain dumping on you (laughs) and i remember one of our youth pastors brad mcmahon i'm sorry guys i'm calling this out because it was cringe (laughs) he's like most of you guys are probably virgins out here and you're so excited to have sex but just so you know if you die before you get to have sex just know that the intimacy you're going to feel in heaven is like having sex with god it is so much better than any (laughs) humanly orgasm you could ever experience and I, i just cringe to think that i was part of that now why does the Sky Daddy oh, fandom have to be horny on me? <laughs> <laughs> That's they want to have sex with God so bad. So horny, bad. So horny for real, for real. <laughs> yeah, like y'all, come on. Just get yourselves together. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. They they want they want daddy, sky daddy to to rain all over them and, and wash the waters all over them. <laughs> <laughs> Slappy wet kiss fan. Oh. <laughs> oh man that's the most gen z Uh thing i think i've ever said but i'm I'm, i stand by it (laughs) yes (laughs) so one thing that i really wanted to talk about was this thing that i think chad harris summed up really well um he said ati was not just an academic curriculum world domination was the goal Mm, yeah yeah and uh that's so true it's so true no, that's so true. Yeah, the uh, it, th- that's why I don't think it like stayed in Quiverful. Like I think that so many Christians were very set on having power, and like they wanted a Christian in office for the president. They wanted a Christian Supreme Court, a Christian Senate, whatever. 
and they thought that that was like the way that the best for America would be done. We were trained to be ready to implement a theocracy. Like that was the point. Yeah. I see that. I think I see that now more through like the political spectrum than I do um, the church spectrum so much. And maybe that's just because I'm out of the church now and I pay more attention to politics, but like, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. literally make their whole political platforms based upon like a theocracy of uh, fundamentalists who have taken over the government and are going to institute right Christian principles over the entire nation. And they're just going to have to deal with it or get shot in the head and go to jail. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're especially targeting trans people and LGBTQ people. Yes. Which- I mean, women's rights, obviously, because overturning Roe v. Wade, which I can't start talking about because I will start yelling. Um, And then also targeting trans people, targeting queer people. um, And it's like it and it's it's driven by people who believe this way and to think that we should be one nation under God in the most literal sense possible, specifically the Christian God, specifically that he's in charge. Like they want a theocracy where everybody is the Duggars or Duggar adjacent. Yeah. They're not subtle about it. No, not at all. Like I I was a little surprised or, I mean, not surprised, but I didn't realize that uh, Madison Cawthorn was in the Joshua generation, like the, the IBLP's political training Mm -hmm. site. Um, yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more who are just like him, who were are going into politics for the explicit reasoning of trying to get Christian nationalism to be the, well, uh, to, to get a theocracy, yeah, mm-hmm. in the United States. Like, I think that's so prevalent, yeah. And, like, even if you didn't do, like, the, um, the training centers for IBLP, you... Oh, I know a lot of people who were homeschooled who maybe didn't go to the IBLP training centers, but we went to Teen Pact every year and we mm-hmm. went to uh, and we did speech and debate. And the whole point of speech and debate was to be able to the Bible verses, give an answer to whoever or who asks of you or something like that, which was taken to mean we need to be able to defend our faith and also convert everybody we meet and also get into politics to make sure that we can convert everybody there so we can implement the theocracy. And and like they said that, <laughs> like they were open about it. We want you to go into politics so that you can take over the country for God, um, <laughs> which is so, which at the time it was like, yeah, of course. And even in a way, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, of course that's the goal. And then it's like, God, that's insidious. That's and and controlling and harmful and abusive and so bad for marginalized people. And uh, yeah, it's it's really scary. Yeah, it it really is. And the funny thing is, like like you mentioned, too, they couch it all in religious language, I guess. Like they talk about God and they talk about like faith. And a lot of times they don't specifically say Christian. um, But you know that none of the things they're saying apply to the Islamic faith Mm -hmm. or Judaism or like maybe Judaism in some regards, but like (laughs) definitely not like Hinduism or Mm -hmm. anything like that. You know, like if that type of person tried to express their faith and do what they wanted to do for God, they would be like, Oh hell no, we're not doing that. 
I'm trying to remember the name of the teen campaign managers who they just like briefly talked about um, within the documentary because they had some examples of like young fundamentalists who were taking part in politics. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy to me that once they get out of that little bubble that they grow up in, that they are still pushing forward those harmful ideologies from a governmental perspective once they get to leave like that mono ideology that they grew up with they are still so gung-ho um about gender roles the role of lgbt people and all sorts of stuff even you know when they're out of that mm-hmm. yeah and i have a hot take on that <laughs> oh 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 yeah. give it my hot take is that the people who deconstruct are people who don't benefit as much from the privilege that you get from being a cishet white evangelical. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's my take. Yeah, you know, probably, yeah, most more than others, definitely. And maybe uh, another so- somewhat spicy take that <laughs> um, that I have is that <clears throat> a lot of times the some of the... Uh, cishet white male individuals that do deconstruct try to take over the deconstruction space mm. as their new power so sometimes they they deconstruct some of the harmful religion but they don't really deconstruct that power colonialist um type of mindset a hundred percent and like something that i feel like doesn't get talked about as much which is something that um I think this was in the IMA that the executive producer did, but um, it may not have been so, but the religious right, like there is of course an element of it that comes from like the abortion activism or whatever, the anti-abortion activism, but they mention in the doc, and this is super true that the homeschool movement um, and so much of this sort of separatist fundamentalist ideology comes from protesting integration in education. Mm, Like so much of it is built on and rooted in white supremacy. Yeah. um, There's, there's a quote from somebody, maybe Paul Weirich or one of the like kind of orchestrators of the religious right, where he was talking about like that they couldn't really openly be, (laughs) they couldn't be racist on Maine, you know, they couldn't like, say we don't want segre- we, we don't want to end segregation so they shifted to abortion because it was an easier battle cry to get everybody to uh, center around. yeah and then they could bring um, the they could they could bring in people like who maybe they couldn't before like catholics and and who really really were gung-ho about abortion before the the religious right protestants were yeah no totally so I think that's a that's, big part of it is I think a lot of it's rooted in privilege. And of course, not all of it like and and I do think that people, you know, people who are both privileged and and who have varying degrees of intersectional like experience varying degrees of intersectional oppression, you you can be bigoted and you can have shitty opinions regardless. But I do think that if you are raised to believe that you're special and that you are chosen and you are the one who's going to bring God back to the nation and you're going to get power and prestige and money in the process because we can't pretend that some of the Duggars TV show wasn't motivated by Jim Bob wanting to, wanting that cash. Um, oh, yeah. 
then then there's not as much of a you don't have the impetus to question you know like one of the things that's forced me to really question my beliefs was realizing that i'm queer and that is something that i a lot of people have experienced who i've talked to of like until when you when you benefit from the structures of oppression it's harder to question the structures of oppression yeah no for sure for sure and so i mean it's it is like a big deal when especially when people that do benefit from this um systems can recognize the oppression and and like get away from it because that is a little bit of a less selfish thing to do like i mean yeah i I think about like all the money i could make as a christian celebrity pastor you know (laughs) it'd be pretty easy (laughs) um but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge thing. And I totally agree. Um, and yeah, I really think that that has so much to do with it, the privilege of all of it. And it's, you know, it's not something that's just like about Christianity and just about faith. It's rooted in just like some of the oldest um, American ideals of white supremacy and patriarchy. Uh you know, it's like they, they want to harken back to this imagined 1920s past where they pretend that all the wives were perfectly submissive servants to their husbands and all the husbands were very, like, well taken care of. The children were all respectful and everything was nice and white and clean. And everybody was straight. Yeah, <laughs> everyone was straight. They, they didn't have to deal with anybody they didn't like because they, they didn't exist. Like, not only were they not... um in God's way, but they just didn't see them. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they pretend that they just don't want to see anybody that they don't think should exist. I think that still continues. Ooh, here's another hot take. Uh, Let's get it. This continues with the pattern of so many evangelicals going on mission trips because mission trips are, are <laughs> colonial. Yes. Hot take. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And here's the thing too, like I see like you were talking about the privilege. I see so many people that their language just like exudes this narcissism where they they believe that they are speaking for God. So they believe that their word is gospel. Like they'll make these social media posts, you know, about like I don't know, just biblical principles and it's just such a fucking like prideful post. But they're they're like hiding it all in the language of like God told me this or like the Bible says this, and <laughs> it's they just they want to hear themselves talk and they want to hear themselves be like the the final arbiter of truth. Really, if I see one more goddamn selfie with a Bible verse underneath it, I'm gonna punch <laughs> something. <laughs> <laughs> well, um. Do y'all want to see a picture of me at Team Pact? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Okay, Let's do I'm going to text it to, to our Wait, group chat. Collier, you need to make this the episode. <laughs> now, this does have other people's faces. Okay. In it, the only thing. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to find one that only has ooh. my face, but see if you can find me. Do you all, do y'all get it? Yeah, other people I recognize, too, mm-hmm. or a few others I recognize. Wait. Yeah, I was gonna say probably a couple familiar faces in there. Yeah. Wait. Yep. Wait. Hold on. Okay, but you got a pretty cool blazer on. So. Hey, my blazer's oh, there not you turned. are. 
Did you couldn't find me? It took me a second. <laughs> That's super fair. Yeah. There's yes. only short hair and long hair in this. That was the only yeah. difference between the women. So for because, dear listener, you won't get to see this picture because there are people who haven't given consent in it. But it's a picture of probably about 15 high school age students. The back row is uh, men wearing or is, I guess, teenage boys wearing suits. The front row is girls wearing blazers and skirts. I, dear reader, am... Um, have very long and very stupid looking hair. <laughs> I'm wearing a floor length skirt and a an orange blazer and I look so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'm standing at the Capitol. I'm at the, the Kentucky Capitol in that picture. I just want to say Ooh. you have the longest skirt on <laughs> all the I ladies. do, yeah. You do. I have the yeah. longest skirt on. I don't really have a reason for that but I do have on a very long skirt. <laughs> no, I, I do think the blazer is the most stylish though. It's kind of got like the cropped short, yeah. short sleeves and it's like, yeah, yeah that's, that's a much cooler blazer than that. I appreciate it. it. So <laughs> you got it on that regard. Yeah. yeah. But so, and it was, it, we were, we were uh, just, that was just learning how to be a good little Christian nationalist. Yeah. Yeah. See, uh, tell us a little bit about that, about uh, Teen Pact and like what they're, aim was yeah the teens so it was I, i'm pretty sure it's specifically for homeschooled teenagers and the whole point there were two things there were kind of two phases of it phase one is you would do just the regular track and what you would do is um for like four to five days you would go to the capital of every day of whatever your state was so for me it was kentucky we would go to frankfurt we'd go to the kentucky state capital every day and we would have classes and we would talk about how a bill was made into law and we would practice writing like writing bills and then we would have uh like mock elections and we would be in committees and and all of that which sounds great i mean it was that part of it you know i feel like i did learn about how my government worked but the whole point of it was so that we could eventually either run for office become lobbyists a la josh duggar um for you know Christian nationalist organizations, um, or just be, be involved in politics in a way to gain power for the kingdom and specifically for like these very specific, uh, bigoted and regressive views. Like we would always have an anti-abortion bill that would always pass in our little group unanimously, you know, like every single time. And so, um, so yeah, so that was the whole point. So that was phase one. After you did that, you were considered an alumni. And if you were an alumni, then you could go to the national convention and the national convention, you would go and you would, it was like a camp. Basically you were there for a week and it was more of the same, but we would have bigger speakers come because it wasn't as local. So, um, we would have people come and talk and all of that. So um, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to think of which governors I would have met. I honestly don't remember, but I met governors. I met senators um, in Kentucky and um, we learned how lobbying worked and how and all all that fun stuff. And the explicit purpose was for Christian nationalism. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of um, another thing in the doc was Josh's first like job in D.C. was with the Family Research Council. Yes. 
which is still a very big player in politics. Yeah. And they're probably behind a lot of the anti-trans bills you see and anti-abortion bills. And I'm sure they're the ones lobbying to get like the Ten Commandments put up everywhere and all that. For sure. But they're essentially like a fascist Nazi Christian organization that pretends to be about family values. Yeah. Bro, Super. what are they That's researching? The thing, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're researching the best ways to make trans queer people unalive themselves, want to unalive yeah. themselves. Ooh. It's fucked. It's like so bad. Um they don't they do not care about people. Like I'll just say that I they don't care about people. They talk about family values and if they really cared about family values, if these if people who hold this ideology really cared about family values and protecting children, then they wouldn't have allowed Josh Duggar to exist for <laughs> as long as he did completely unchecked. Like don't tell me that you care about family values and protecting children and that you're so concerned that trans people are groomers when actual groomers are allowed to run rampant in your communities. Definitely. Um, oh yeah, that reminds me a little bit. We don't have to like talk much about this because we're we're running out of time. Probably <laughs> <laughs> we're running a while now. What? Um, but <laughs> one of the things I was gonna mention as well was uh, uh, James Dobson and focus on the family. Ooh. And um, because people talk are all about like the IBLP. They're all talking about that now, and a lot of evangelicals are disavowing Bill Gothard and the IBLP now because they see this documentary and recognize the cult and recognize like how harmful it is. But like, I think my childhood wasn't as much influenced by specifically Gothard as it was by focus on the family and James Dobson. And honestly, they're 99% the exact same thing. They have pretty much all the exact same values. The only difference is like, they're not running like a compound like Bill Gothard was, I guess. <laughs> and they don't have like as prosperity gospel, maybe. But, like, they're the same. Um, James Dobson wrote uh, The Strong-Willed Child, which has the exact same type of parenting correctional behavior, which treats your children like animals. Um, and that is something that every evangelical I know loves focus on the family. Mm -hmm. So if you're an evangelical listening to this and you think you're exempt from what is being condemned in this documentary you're not because focus on the family is the exact same if you like focus on the family yeah yeah i think the biggest difference between this and focus on the family really is that oh did we lose elijah oh there he is hey uh -oh. sorry is that a <laughs> oh, little mr whitaker mr whitaker it's john avery whitaker yeah. elijah has a little figure of of mr whitaker from uh uh, Adventures, Adventures in Odyssey. Odyssey. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, oh my god. god, that's a flashback. Wait, speaking of Spar, speaking of Adventures in Odyssey, uh, Eugene was a trans icon. I'm just gonna say <laughs> it. But... <laughs> Eugene has egg energy. I'm like a hundred percent. Yeah, I miss when he was atheist. <laughs> I do too. Atheist Eugene was the best. <laughs> he was much cooler. He was yeah, great. <laughs> the Chad atheist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had Adventures in Odyssey video games and everything. That was a whole thing. But oh wow, oh yeah. Uh, but I I think that the biggest difference between Focus on the Family and IBLP, like the bit, like the most fundamental difference in these fundamentalists, lol, um, <laughs> is 
I, I, I really just, I think that they have the exact same underlying principles. I just think they implement them differently because Mm -hmm. as far as the authority stuff and all of that, I think that the big, that like, uh, Gothard really wanted to control every single teeny tiny aspect of someone's life. So like he was really obsessed with hair length, for example, and super obsessed Mm. with, he has this whole thing where he believes we have three minds. He's like, you have the, what is it? The mind, the head mind, the heart mind and the gut mind. And he's like really obsessed with what you can and should and shouldn't eat. So you don't get constipated in your gut mind. It's fucking weird. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's a whole thing. It's wild. But like, so he was, he really got into the nitty gritty. He wanted to control these little tiny things about people's lives. Um, I think that focus on the family and James Dobson just doesn't do that part of it. So they're not as obsessed with like, if you don't wear a specific skirt, then you're going to hell, but they are, if you're not modest, then you're doing these awful things. Mm. You know, they are, uh, if you divorce is wrong and you should beat your children and you should not be queer and you should not talk to people who are queer and you should be anti-abortion and um, you, you know, all, all of that, like repress your sexuality, like all of those pieces of it that are more foundational focus on the family has the same ones. They just don't have some of those more weird nitty gritty things that IBLP does. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, the IBLP in Gothard is a little bit more like aggressive authority, mm-hmm. whereas maybe focus on the family is a little bit more passive authority. But like, yeah, the, the 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 passive type of thing with focus on the family is almost more like psychological. It's almost more, it's more fear. Like we were talking about with um, one of the comforts in listening to Gothard was that he did tell you how every aspect of your life should be run, so you didn't have to question. With James Opson, it was like. He he instilled instilled the fear of hell in you, a lot, you know, and it's that type of thing. Same underlying principles, but he would let it be up to you a little bit more, um, you know, if you think that you're going to hell for wearing for having a pixie cut, or if you think you're going to hell for like wearing spaghetti straps or whatever. Um, where it's almost a little bit more like psychological torturing because then you're like, oh, well, should I do this or shouldn't? And you're like at war with yourself mm-hmm. because you have to figure out like if you think you're okay. Um, yeah, it's like two sides of the same coin. And like they 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 both though have the same goals and and they both have the same political goals too. I think they both really, really, really want uh, Christians in government and Christians to make laws mandating Christianity basically. Yeah. Well, um, at the end of most of our pods, we like to put out a thought to go home with, like most preachers and pastors do. (laughs) And not to say that this is the end of the conversation, because, you know, honestly, we haven't even talked about um, Josh Duggar's pedophilia (laughs) or so many different topics. However... I would be curious, Brooke, what you would say to the different audiences that listen to the Hopefully Wandering podcast. And I would say there's probably three different audience we we cater towards or that listen to our pod. Um, one are the people who are still deeply in the evangelical world, 
who are even somewhat likely to be fundamentalist. Two would be the people who are uh, deconstructed or cool Christians now. I'm just going to say it. Sorry, guys. I mean, that's probably biased. And then three, (laughs) (laughs) um, the people who are just completely on the other side of uh, processing their trauma from organizations such as that. Um, is there anything that you would want to say to these different groups? I actually have three things that fit perfectly for each of those audiences. Please. (laughs) Got all my notes, PhD for the win, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing anyway. So, um, I think for those who are still in fundamentalism, I would say that deconstructing is exhausting. It was not the easy way out. Um, And questioning myself and questioning the system in many ways was more difficult than just continuing with what I knew and what was comfortable and what, what I was familiar with. Um, And so there's, you know, if you're thinking that people leave Christianity or leave fundamentalism because they can't hack it, uh, it's harder to parse all of that out. It's it's like trying to untangle a spider web. Um, and it takes so much work. But the reason that we do it is because there's something on the other side that brings more, I won't, I don't know that peace is the right word, but more presence of mind and more confidence of self than being in fundamentalism ever gave. And so that hard work was worth it. Um, And, but so, so I would, you know, I would just say that where you're at might seem comfortable. Um, and I'm not going to say that getting that that questioning it isn't difficult, but it is worth it. Um, but please don't say that we took the easy way out because we didn't. That's good. That's good. Um, and then to people who are cool Christians, um, (laughs) who are, you know, I'd say that I love that for you. If you found peace there, if you found meaning there, then that's wonderful. And I hope that you continue in that. Um, please don't fall into the trap of believing that because you find meaning in it there and because you're happy there, everybody else should be happy there. Um, or that because you have created or or maintained a particular relationship with the divine that you then get to dictate other people's relationship with the divine. Not saying that's what you're doing, of course, but I can see that as being a trap. So just, I would say, be aware of that um, because the whole point of being a Christian is to love. And if you're judging before you're loving, then you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And my last thing I would say to people who are all the way out is I want to use Chad Harris's quote again, because I kind of want to be his best friend. Um, yes. He said, as much as they tried to control us, we were what they always feared. So as much as they tried to, to push us down and control every aspect of who we are and make us question ourselves, um, we are now who we are supposed to be. We made who we are for ourselves. We've made our lives for ourselves and nobody else told us how to do that. Um, and now we are what they always feared and there is power in that. So take hold of that power and make a difference in your community. Damn. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's so powerful. I mean, that's, uh, 
makes you feel good, makes us feel good, I think, but also um, it's a good challenge too. Yeah. Cool. I would like to say one thing to people who are fundamental, and this applies to a very specific group, um, specifically people who are in like the Southeast area and may identify with some of the more conservative evangelical points. It's something I read on Collier's notes, but please be aware that Bob Russell's posts on his website sometimes eerily seem similar to some Bill Gothard ideologies, and he speaks from the same place of absolute authority very often. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that, that, that wasn't my note, so yeah. He, he, he's also um, an end times fear monger, so just, yeah. just it's better to not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, like if you're in Southeast, like I'm not saying you have to throw the whole church away, but like try to recognize that that's, that's the foundation for your church is like that sort of ideology and leadership and maybe... Maybe that'll help you look at something a little bit differently. If you want to be the kind of person that people feel safe around, surround yourself with people that people feel safe around and people don't feel safe at Southeast. Yeah. Mm. There's a there's a lot of internal struggle I know going on there, especially with like the semi-recent ordination of women pastors in their congregation. Is there is, oh, really? I mean, there is a group of quote unquote cool Christians who go there and recognize some of these issues or are trying to campaign for change. But I know that a lot of the issues come from senior, senior leadership, as well as the money makers within the congregation. So it just becomes a big pushback from senior leadership. And so take that into consideration. Yeah. No, I and like I I feel for that struggle. I mean, that's where I was during most of my deconstruction was at a or at a church like Southeast and I was um very confused on how to be a part of a church like that and also not contributing to hurting people and contributing to making people feel safe. Uh I kind of <laughs> came to the realization that I couldn't. Um but yeah, so I mean, I feel for that struggle, for sure. I mean, I guess my big thing that I would like to tell anybody in any camp that you're at is like, my big thing recently has just been listening to people, listen to others' stories, listen to victims of abuse. Um, try to listen and really hear and be open, uh, no matter where you are. You know, if you are someone that's deconstructed and deconverted or a progressive Christian or a fundamentalist Christian, no matter where you are, you don't know everything about everything and you don't have absolute authority. Uh, so try to listen to people and see how much you can believe them, you know, and uh, see if listening to their stories can shape and change your beliefs at all. I think that's just one of the, the best things that any human being can do no matter where they are. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of it too would be one last thing and then I'll shut up. Um, no worries. Is if you're questioning, but you're afraid that you won't be accepted by people who have deconstructed or who are on the other side, I don't think any of us would sit here and say that we haven't done something to cause harm. I certainly have. 
I've absolutely done shit that has caused harm. And so if you are truly committed to change and to making amends, then you, you will have a community when you leave. If you decide that that's the right thing for you, you'll have a community when you leave. We are waiting with open arms. Join the dark side. We have cookies. Yes. Um, and our parties are better. They are so much better. <laughs> Very true. Um, this is, uh, if you are evangelical, tune out now. Because I'm about to say one, one thing for my people on the other side. If you are scared about people like Bill Gothard and Donald Trump, just remember, they're in their 70s and 80s. You ain't got to wait much longer. Very true. You are you are gonna outlive Mitch McConnell, my friend. You will do it. <laughs> but also, the best time if you're feeling powerless, the best thing you can do is get in your community and make a difference. Because when you feel power powerless, that's what they want you to feel. That's what that's the point is to make you feel like you can't do anything to combat it, and you absolutely can. Every little thing you do, every kind thing you do, makes a difference. So if you're feeling hopeless, reach out, get in your community, volunteer. You know, call the. Uh, you can train to be a suicide helpline person for queer teens with the Trevor Amen. project, like get involved and do, and do something and make a difference because your voice is important. Your experiences are important. And if you're feeling hopeless, don't that, that they win if you do nothing. So get out there and kick some ass. Definitely. Love it. Beautiful. Love it. Well, Brooke, Thanks for having me back, y'all. Yes. They, you can find me on, on Instagram. I am BB underscore Elizabeth underscore 17. I'm pretty sure is what my handle still we'll is. We'll tag you. Yeah, you, they'll tag me. Um, I am on Facebook as well. I'm Brooke Bowling Spears on Facebook. Um, I don't use Twitter because it's a cesspit and I don't have the emotional <laughs> energy. <laughs> um, but I do check those. I do check Facebook and I do check Instagram. So feel free to reach out and uh, and see what I'm up to. Yes, please. Yeah, no, her socials are great. So we will definitely reach, um, be tagging Brooke in the posts um yeah and follow us here at hopefully wondering podcasts on instagram that's kind of our main thing uh <laughs> i don't know we have everything else but like we most mostly just use or the millennials so just follow us there instagram superior yeah anyway. <laughs> it is on my facebook which is yeah yeah uh yeah i've been getting into tiktok so follow me collier underscore wondering on collier TikTok is unhinged well. on tiktok oh i might have to re-download tiktok now <laughs> that's my yeah. yeah i've started uh i've started making like evangelical content on there yes um unhinged. so yeah um but of course we'd love to hear any of your thoughts dear listeners so please let us know message us like for real i mean like, I, I want to say we're a safe space for you to message. Uh, Brooke is also an incredibly safe space for you to message if you don't feel comfortable messaging us, if you have any questions or any thoughts about anything. Um, and I want to hear your fear, feedback, too, on this episode and see what you thought. See if you have any other comments you want to add to the documentary or what we talked about today. Please like the episode because then they'll have me back and I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well... Go live it, go be it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>